Hey everyone, this is Greg, your host of Goddamn GameCube. Thank you for tuning in to Season 2. All episodes in this season were conducted virtually over the internet because of the coronavirus pandemic, so please excuse any audio glitches or oddities you may hear during these episodes. Thank you and enjoy. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Circus of Value. Uh, I'm just kidding. My name is Greg. I am your host today. We have an incredible guest in the goddamn GameCube virtual house. Bill Gardner <laughs> is here with us. He was the lead level designer of Bioshock, the creative designer of Bioshock Infinite, and he is the CEO of the Deep End Games, responsible for Perception and the upcoming Romancelvania. Thank you so much for joining us, Bill. How are you? My pleasure. I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks. <laughs> let's, um, let's get right into it. Um, can you speak a little bit about your, um, your formative years? Like what inspired you to get into games in the first place? Did you always have a passion for games? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I was absolutely the, the target of Nintendo's, the whole world of Nintendo thing. You go into a a child world or a Toys R Us and like Nintendo ruled the world in the, in the, the eighties, right? They, they're ruling it again right now, but, um, you know, the rise of re-rise of video games after the crash in the early eighties, you know, it was all about, you know, kids my age. And, uh, you know, I was the Nintendo kid growing up. Um, I was particularly obsessed with Zelda, but I, I was the kind of kid that everyone would go to to be like, oh, I, I'm stuck in this park. What do, what do I do? And they, they'd come and talk to me rather than going and getting a Nintendo Power or or calling a Nintendo Hotline or whatever. So, are you I, referring to the old. original Zelda? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm that old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, 100%. So I was, I was, you know, in my prime, and in, in uh, I'm going to date myself here, but in '86 when Nintendo was ruling the world, and. Um, you know, I've grown up with them. I've, I've always been obsessed. I've always had a, a, uh, a soft spot for Nintendo in my heart. Um, but games in general were, were my thing. And so I really, you know, I have a lot of passions, I have a lot of interests, but you know, growing up, it was video games and film. My parents actually owned a video game store, oh, sorry, um, a video store. They were one of the first ones in like New England, one of the first ones, like really ahead of the curve, and they killed it for a while. And then Blockbuster, and then HBO, and all these things started really kind of. And then there was a couple of recessions, and so things got a little bit rough. But film was another huge passion of mine. I had seen every movie made up until like ninety two, ninety three, when they when they stopped when they closed the store. I was going to ask you that. That was actually the next thing on my list that I was going to ask you about. I um I did a little <laughs> bit of um digging in your back uh, into your background, and cool. I saw oh. I saw that you <laughs> you stu you studied uh arts and film. Like I was going to ask yes. like um, you know I, I am very familiar with your catalog of games and and all the visual storytelling. Like I can see the connection between film and your games. Would you say sure. like your films and games align for you and influence each other? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, really yeah. what it comes down to is it's about, um, to me, I mean, games can be anything, really. I, I don't like when people try and put games in a box. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, for me, what I enjoy is the immersion. What I enjoy is the world building. Uh, and I love to, to whisk people away. And not only when they're sitting down to play it, but I, I love to, you know, personally, when I'm, when, I'm not just playing games when I'm in front of a TV or in front of my Switch or whatever. 
I'm playing games in my head all the time. I'm walking through uh, different dungeons and I'm, uh, you know, thinking about the different strategies and, and all that sort of thing. And I, that's what I like. I like being, it's, it's a popular phrase now, but everyone's talking about like living rent-free in people's heads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's kind of where I like to be. I like to, you know, like create these worlds that people want to revisit, whether it's just in their heads or, or, or booting up their, their computer or, or, or console. Um, gotcha. so, yeah, so you're living yeah. it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Um, yeah, I've always been a bit of a, a dreamer, but I tend to zone out pretty deeply and, uh, I think it disturbs a lot of people. I, I also <laughs> sleep with, I also sleep with my eyes open. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, people are unsettled by my thousand yard stare. Uh, kind of speaking on your career beginnings, um, how did you sort of climb the ladder, so to speak, and like leading your kind of leading up to your role at Irrational? Sure. Um, you know, listen, I, I, I've been very fortunate. I think it's in some some ways it was it was a lot harder to get involved in the industry back then. But in some ways it was so much easier. I think it was a lot harder in the sense that there was no there were, there were a lot vaguer or a lot less roadmaps um to to get involved in it i think particularly when you talk about the industry itself but well, most of the industry was in japan uh for the 80s and, and up through most of the 90s honestly you started to see the the, res the, the resurgence of, of western development particularly on the pc side but for consoles forget about it there were a few companies like naughty dog and insomniac and this they started to emerge in the mid 90s with the playstation and certainly with pc gaming but anyway so to, to get into the get into games i had no idea and w what it came down to is i'm finishing up college and uh, i spent a little time at um mostel lieberman in, in at universal studios and it was a great experience but it became very clear that i wasn't going to be able to kind of build the worlds that i wanted to, to to really get people's heads like i talked about it's just such a machine out there mm -hmm. and that sort of creative independence yeah i mean if you're if you're J.J. Abrams or something like that. Yeah, you can do what you want. Even then, it's, I, you know, he's got to answer to a million, um, you know, interested parties and this sort of thing. And he's got to please everyone. And so, I like the, the the more independent spirit of games and how games were on, on the upswing. I mean, at the time, you know, it, it's easy to look at games now and be like, oh, they're so big and it's so, such an obvious choice. And but at the time, like I would give persuasive speeches in college about how video games were going to overtake Hollywood and, and be the dominant form of entertainment. And I remember people laughing. People were laughing in the audience. They're like, well, who's well, laughing now? <laughs> so it, it, again, it, because it's bigger now, that's a lot harder to get involved in. The talent level is insane now. Like if you, if you go and look at any given um, portfolios on art station or whatever, the, the, they they put the artists of my day, most of them, and this is generalizing here, but they put them to shame. Like right. even people who are zero recognition and very few followers are like light years ahead of a lot of the artists that we have. And a lot of that is just great. It's the same thing whether you go to the NBA or whatever. You, you compare the league today. I think uh, Kevin Garnett, not to talk sports, I think Kevin Garnett I saw today was like, oh, the league today is like completely different than it was 20 years ago. These guys are, are like superhumans. Everybody's jacking up threes and it's all offense, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And so yeah, things change and, and things we, we get better. It's great. We all we get better at, uh, at our craft. And so for me, I, I found my way uh, in, in, into games by 
honestly, I, I, I tried to learn as much as I could. I started to learn on real and, and started to go to these like meetings, these local meetings uh, called postmortem Boston, where you go in and um, a lot of developers will go and just have drinks and do a presentation and just, it's like sort of like a mini GDC, a mini uh, game developers conference. And so we'd get together and I started making connections there and I took up my old college job at Electronics Boutique where all of the local devs, for, for, for some reason, this one store, they all came in. And so I continue to work on my connections, continue to work on my networking, which I realize not everyone's good at. And frankly, I don't think you need necessarily, you know, there's a lot of ways to get involved uh, to get your start. But for me, networking and, and making the right connections was able to, um, I was able to, you know, introduce myself to Ken Levine, the creative director and, and uh, one of the founders at Irrational Games. And they were working on this project called The Lost, uh, which was a PS2, sort of like a Zelda meets Silent Hill, if you will, somewhere sure. between those two games. And uh, it happened to be, be the right place and right time. We really hit it off, and he offered me the opportunity to interview in QA. Um, and so quality quality assurance as, as a tester. And so I, I came in, and, and like a complete idiot, I showed up in like a suit. <laughs> and I was like, and so I remember everyone looking at me like, "What the hell is this guy? Is he, what do you think he's CEO or something?" Like that? <laughs> and from there, it was just about really going, trying to do everything I can to to set myself apart and to go above and beyond. To you know, when I find opportunities to um, you know spend a little extra time after hours, even if I was like, "I'm not," I'm like I purposely said, "I'm not going to put in these hours because I want to learn." And so I'd go and I'd, I'd I'd be like, "Hey, I noticed that all these bugs." that I'm putting in about you getting stuck here, here, and here, and I'm like, it's too much, and you're way, I see your bug list, you have hundreds of bugs, and you can't keep up. Do you mind if I, would you like it if I, I went in and fixed these really stupid bug bugs? They're, they're, they're menial, they're nothing. And the designer, the designers that I, I talked to, like, oh my God, yes, will you please? And so again, I continue to, to strengthen my skills in, in, uh, in, in, in learning the editor and, and the process. And, and, and you put in the work. Yeah, and I made myself kind of indispensable. Yeah. And so eventually they, they offered me a job as, as design. And, and it's, uh, you know, you, you on some level you, you feel kind of bad because you're you're making all the right moves to to advance. And, and when it came time to, to extend contracts, you know, they, they, they all were like, oh, we need Bill. And, and, and you know, there's some level of like, you know, I, I work for this. But there's also a level of like, well, shoot, you know, you feel bad because you, you, you were, you come up with the same time with the same, with all these people with the same level of experience as you. And it's like, why do you make it? And that's, you know, you have a little bit of that, uh, what is that term? Uh, imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> right. Well, no, I understand. But, but I mean, if you, if you work so hard for it, you should feel good about it, man. I mean, hey, and look at you now, right? You've done some incredible stuff. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I just stuck with it and just kept that, that same, same, uh, you know, that same level of, that same work ethic. And again, I've been very fortunate. A lot of opportunity, and I've a I've, uh, lot of luck, a lot of hard work. Uh, but it really, is, it's 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 cliche. It's, it's it's a combination of those things. Right. I mean, I tend to say uh, you make your own luck. If you you know put yourself sure. in situations to have opportunity and you put in the work, luck can find you. Is what I tend to say. That's that's true as well. Um, you know, I think if you look at, and that's a really good point. You know, if you look at the way our Kickstarter went with with uh, Romansylvania for yeah. the longest time, you know, we were we were really dragging along, and it didn't look like. And fr frankly, you know, a week or so into it, we reached out to a bunch of marketing uh, specialists who specialize specifically in in marketing 
uh, Kickstarters, and they're like, oh, no, 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 you're not, there's no way you're going to make it. You should cancel your campaign and, and lower it a bunch. You smash through, and they have all, they have all these strategies. It's, it's, it's been gamified at Kickstarter. I love it. It's a great platform, and there's so much opportunity. Right, right. I mean, I remember, I remember seeing um, that, that Kickstarter story in particular. I remember I was either on, on your Twitter feed, and then there were some, some friends of mine had contributed to it, like on my personal socials. And then, then nice. I was like, oh, I know Bill Gardner. Oh, I know what this game is. Oh, it's the same game. Be sure to thank them. No, no yeah, sure yeah. Them. Seriously. <laughs> no, I already did. I um. Well, the, the, yeah, uh, I don't mean to jump ahead, but just to, yeah. to finish that loop there, yeah. we, by all accounts, we were dead in the water. Yeah. And, you know, I spent, you know, a week or two trying to figure out how to, to re-sort of brand it and how to, like, re-message it and, and, and just make it sure. So, because we, we reached a big audience, but they were like, this is not cool, man. You, how dare you do this to Castlevania? How dare you? Like, and I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, I thought you'd, like, lighten up. And so, you know, we recalibrated. We took took our licks, and, and, and then we just tried to figure out how to reach a sort of more open-minded audience. And, uh, you know, it came down in the last few days and it's like, we're not moving the needle and we know there's a big push at the end, but we finally, I just got, actually what, what, what really pushed me over the edge was a very close friend of mine, a developer was like, Hey, I saw the campaign. Like you, you, you that was an amazing amount of money. You guys did great. You know, you'll get them next time more or less. And it was like this, uh. you know, really, really sweet and really well-intentioned, but like basically said, you know, you failed. And I was like, oh, you son of a bitch. And so I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I put my head down. I started emailing everyone I knew in, in the industry. I started messaging, direct messages. I started just like, I went absolutely ham. And, and just, uh, and we started just like hit on um, timing wise, the right kind of people. And they, they started, they finally, people started retweeting stuff. And finally people started like putting out the word. And we started to see the needle movement. So I kept pushing and Amanda kept pushing. And, and like, we all just like, really powered through and i never seen anything like it it was it was it was tom brady level of uh sorry if you're if you're not a tom brady fan or if you're a chiefs fan or whatever but it was like tom brady level comeback i mean i mean listen this is a this is a video game podcast but i know plenty uh about sports i was at the snow game dude the raiders game in 2001 oh my god how did you get tickets um, my, my, you know, back in those days, you know, my dad had a connection and then, you know, you can't get him anymore, but Hey man, I was there in the snow for the kicks. So don't underestimate my sports knowledge. That's unbelievable. <laughs> wow. That, that's one of the, that's one of the best right there. I think in all sports. Oh yeah. That's oh like, my God. <laughs> oh man. What a, what a, what a game. Dude, I know. I mean, I was going to say, speaking of what a game I was going <laughs> to, I was going to bring this back to uh, Bioshock for a moment. Um, Please. for for people in our audience who are who are you know they're they're fans of video games but they don't know a lot about game development can you describe sure. like what is a lead level designer like what did it mean to bioshock yeah sure so um we were, we were a small team you know it was, it was especially when you consider the competition you know you talk about triple a at the time you, know, you started to see things balloon out of control you had like assassin's creed had something like 250 or 300 people working on it and and we were this small studio out of boston with you know 50 55 people and then we had um, a lot of help from australia you know there was like maybe 25 or 30 people there as well so you know all total at the at, at peak we're probably around 75 80 people and Got i could it. be miscounting or whatever but so for a lot of development it was kind of a lot of self-motivation and that kind of thing and people are just kind of directing themselves but 
you, know, you get into the last year or so and things start to crystallize and the stakes are raised tremendously and it's like you start to see what the vision is like how it's really coming together because up until that point it's it's it, most of the development is a mess most of of, of, of of building a game it's changed a lot like I think the tools are a lot better now but the first year or so of development is, is kind of a slog and nothing really works and you don't really like you have to play a lot of imagination and you're you're playing in empty levels and you're trying to like pretend like oh hey here's gonna be a big fight here and that thing over there that's standing in the corner not animating and it, it seems to be shooting at me this is gonna be an awesome combat right i promise it's gonna be awesome right <laughs> I, I effectively became uh, Ken's right hand man on um, Ken Levine, the creative director, mm-hmm. on uh, on the design side. And I basically, what the way it would go is, I worked very closely with him for most of development. I was working on three or four levels, like I was the owner on the design side of those levels. So the, the medical pavilion, Welcome to Rapture, Fort Frolic, and for a while I had like um, the engineering level, the Hephaestus. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, slowly over time, as I became more of a manager. I, I started to, to, to hand those things off and, and up the last eight or so months, eight, eight, six to eight months, I basically started to hand them off completely to other designers and so I could transition and focus more on the management and like helping with the vision and process and that kind of thing. And so effectively what wound up happening is we would set up a series of reviews uh, that would go like basically a level a day where we'd go into a level and uh, Ken and I would sit down and play with them. We'd pull in the, the designer, the level, level designer on that level. And we'd have a level artist and, and the art director like Scott Sinclair and Nate Wells uh, sitting in with us. And we, we'd play through it. And we'd st- sometimes it would, be, it would go really smooth. Uh, and you'd, uh, you'd basically just play through it as an experience. But most of the time, it's like you, you walk 10 feet. And it's like, whoa, this is kind of busted. Like, what's supposed to be happening here? Where's the sound? And what am I supposed to be feeling? And, and, and so you really, you walk through it. And moment for moment, beat for beat, try and figure out exactly how it fits into the experience of the level and the experience of the overall game. I, I was going to interject real quick. Um, when when you're describing, you know, walking through the level like beat for beat, um, I yeah. did have a, a curiosity. Like, how inter- sure. how intertwined like um, is the work between level designers and the visual staff? Like, does I think you were saying like you know you you kind of walk through empty levels and you're sort of playing a lot of imagination. Like, where does sort of like the where does like the art and the level design like come together? Like, did does it is it a very fluid situation? It is fluid, um, but I think that the the process that we found worked best was where we would pair off a level designer and a level artist. And so the designer was primarily responsible for um, the, the, the combat, the gameplay, um, and uh, the, the level artist is responsible for the look and the beautification and just the, the aesthetic. And so the experience uh, is the two things meeting together, ideally in, in perfect harmony, right? You, you have, you have a, the moment-to-moment, uh, you know, the quest, the, the mission that you're on, mixed with the kind of enemies you're fighting, mixed with the pacing of things, mixed in with, you know, the, the logs that are playing and, and the, the, the overall narrative and the development of, you know, if it's Dr. Steinman or whatever. So you're working very carefully with uh, the, the level artist to, to make sure those things are simpatico, right? To make sure that, um, you know, for St- Steinman's a great example because, you know, the mise-en-scene, the, 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 the in-game storytelling, that falls on both uh, departments that falls on design and art because you know the artists are the ones creating 
the 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 um, putting together the vignettes, the ideas for them, and that that kind of oh, sorry, the ideas would be a joint effort between you know the creative direction with Ken, between uh, the level designer and the level artist. But we you know super talented uh, all around, and so sometimes the ideas would come directly from the designer, sometimes they'd come directly from uh, the level artist, and sometimes they'd come directly from Ken, and so. Um, you know, Ken had the idea for Steinman to be uh, a bit like he used aiming to be the Picasso of plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. And so the whole that you first meet him, the first time you see or you, you learn about him is when those doors slowly open yep. and it reveals that that vignette that says, uh, above all else, do no harm. That's pretty powerful because listen, blood scrawls. Uh, you know the, the 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 writing on the wall made of blood. That that's those are a dime a dozen, and those mm -hmm. became kind of uh, cliche in a lot of ways. But for me, for you, bang for your buck, it doesn't get any better than that because you know Hippocratic Oath <laughs> written in right, blood. In, in blood, you get the you get like all the levels of I don't even know what you want to call it irony and <laughs> and evil yeah, irony. Yeah, no, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah. It's, 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 sorry, it's that push and pull. It's that, that yeah. the, the designer pushing on the artist, the artist pushing on the designer. They're frequently fighting, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and, then and then Ken uh, in creative direction coming in and being like, hey, what the heck? You know, this isn't working. What are you trying to tell? And like, and critiquing it or being like, no, 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 let's try this. And so uh, it, it's about balance. You know, a lot of ways it's kind of like the, uh, the, the, the our government, right? The three pillars, the three, sure. three branches of government, right? Um, wow. I and, never thought about it like that, but that is interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I um I was gonna you know you all, you almost answered my next question for me. Um, I my next question was about you know Bioshock, no pun intended, is dripping with atmosphere. You know, it's <laughs> one of those you know one of those you know few games I've played in my life where I just feel like you know the um, whether it's the audio design, the visual design, the art style, like everything blends together so well, and it is just dripping with style. I was sure. gonna ask the three pillars that you talked about. Do you feel like that is how the quote unquote atmosphere came together for Bioshock? Was can you put your finger on like the moment or like the level where it came together and you said or you know this is this is the mantra of the game or this is the atmosphere of the game? Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where you know you come into work every week and you as a designer, as a developer, you you know where you're trying to get to. But it's it's such a painstaking process, and it's great. It's exhilarating. I love it. But it's so painstaking. It takes so long that there's such a leap of faith where everyone goes in. It's a bit delusional where you're you're saying like, oh, this is gonna be awesome, you know. Just imagine this, that, and that you're constantly pitching each other, constantly trying to sell it with very li little to no resources. Like you know, again, you literal literal checkerboard patterns on the wall and you're painting this picture you come in and you're like oh so imagine you come in and the lights turn out and you hear this rummaging around or you know what you see you're pitching this thing and sometimes you get bored with the idea sometimes the, you, you like you really um you, you put your head down and, and and work together to to finally realize it but it takes so much time and, and it's, it's like it's tough to point to the exact moments where it's it's coming together but you come in every week and eventually you're like you, you sit down, you play, you're like, it's clicking, you know, like I, with the, this new audio you put in and with the, 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 the loop pass you just did and with uh, the, the latest lighting change, like, like I, I can feel it. This is, this is really like, this is something else. Like I, I really, uh, I, I'm playing, I'm experiencing it rather than imagining it. And that, that just, you never know when that's going to happen. I mean, sometimes it comes in dribs and drabs. 
in the sense that you know you can see oh we built an art space and it's just the aesthetic of how the world's going to look and it's just this one room or uh, we have this one little combat uh, built out and even though it's in gray box it, it feels good if you get, and we're creating some of the pillars that we talk about in the game you build towards these pillars uh we had five or six of them in, in the game and one of them was um meaningful choice which would be like which tools am i using which upgrades do i want where do i want to go and uh, you know basically every choice the games are really about a series of choices, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the point is to, to make it so it's like Pac-Man, it's a choice of do I go left or right or up, right? That's a choice. Right. And in some sense, that's meaningful. But, you know, if you're able to slow things down and make it uh, truly decisive where you're able to see, I made this decision and I know if I make this decision, the outcomes are likely to be these things. And then you have that paid off right away. And so you fast forward to, to, to Bioshock you know, okay, is it is now a good time to take on the big daddy, right? Well, I have this many resources, I've hacked these turrets, the size of the situation, and you say, it's time, and you go ahead and you do it. But you didn't clear out the one of the rooms or maybe forgot about uh, the fact that you were actually low on, on one resource or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's this weird confluence of things coming together at once. And we, had, we, had, we, we never knew... For sure, when it was going to be, if it was going to be successful yeah. um, commercially, until we broke Xbox Live with our demo. Right, right. I remember. I remember they. Um, I actually remember the news article about that. However, fourteen years ago, dating ourselves. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you went, you went all the, we'd always been this, this critical darling team. We'd always released all these games that gave them get amazing reviews, but don't sell all that well. And nice. we, we, we put, put everything we could into this to making to, to breaking that mold. And I think the atmosphere was, was really a big part of that because, frankly, I think it was the crucial part of this because up until that point, I think most atmosphere is kind of disposable in games. I mean, there are games yeah. that have a lot of, lot of, lot of mood, mood and vibe, but sure. I think for the most part, it's an afterthought. It's like, let me run down this hall and just blast stuff and i don't really care about what, what's going on in the environment <laughs> i was gonna say it's almost like you're taking the questions out of my mouth i have so it's they're all related to exactly what you just talked about <laughs> i would no i was wow that's that's unbelievable um I, there's something i was actually very um very curious about because um i watched some interviews with you uh, about bioshock and something that something that you mentioned was that this Bioshock was iterated on a lot. Like there were a lot of a lot of play testing. Um, I was going to ask: Was this is more of a funny question? Was there any like one particular piece of feedback from a feedback group that like um, that radically changed the game? Like any any like anecdote in particular? Well, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that stick uh, with you, uh, but I think that the one that really resonated the most. Uh, was our first play session, um, a play test we had. Um, it was about, I think, somewhere between 12 and 18 people. Uh, they came in and like, uh, it was like two or three shifts of six people, and they played the, the intro to the game for, you know, it was like an hour or so, and then they talk. And they absolutely brutalized it. They, they were like, this is a cheap man's half-life. It's maybe a two or three out of ten. It was, they, 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 yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, but in watching them and in hearing them talk, it was very clear where the problems were. It was very clear. And I think that um, one of the big things is that we were being too cute. We were being too coy with our information. We were, mystery was an important, I think that might've been one of the pillars. I have to go back and check, but um, uh, mystery was, was, was an important pillar for us. And I, we were being too mysterious. Like the, one of the things that people were complaining about was like, well, you know, 
who am I? Why am I here? Like, why does this city exist? Like, why, why do I care? I, I'm this, I guess I'm a dude who's in this, it's a city, but they're, they're all a bunch of zombies running around and like there's robots and like, okay, whatever. And so, you know, we wanted to slowly trickle out information, which is, that's a craft, right? That, that is a, right. a very tricky thing to do. Most games, not to, you know, I think story is not a priority for most games, but for the most part, it's like, they lock you in and they sit you down for a 10 minute cuts and they're like in the age of what, you know, and they just go, Oh my God, talkie, talkie, talkie. Right. Um, you know, you, you, games are, are, are best as a medium when you're, you're expressing, uh, letting the player express themselves. Right. right. And you're, you're basically saying, Hey, it's about letting the player tease out information and tease out the experience. If you're going to lock the player in place and put them in a cutscene, then well, what are you doing? You're missing the point entirely. Right. Show don't um, tell. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's not even that. It's, it's a step beyond. You've, you've show, don't tell for film or even, you know, primarily for film. But, um, you know, we, 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 you know, you can take it however you want to phrase it, but it's really play. Like, it's really play, don't, don't show. Or right, tell, right. Right? So um, the, the notion of us being too uh, mysterious, um, that really stuck with us. And we just really had to find that line between what is the right amount of mystery? What is the right amount of leaving players... There's a there's a point between too too much information is all as is no information that, that that's that's the truth that's the truth and that's why when you look at some games and they're just like information dump exposition cutscene followed by training followed by it's like people just tune it out and then they're gonna have a bad experience right so you have to find the right amount to to leave people um, leaning in to be like oh I want to know more it's 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 got to be that balance of like. Uh, the word I use when there are too many like mechanics and things in my face is this game is too video gamey. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I, you know what I mean? Like I'm kind of I, I'm not 100%. really I'm not in the world anymore. I'm kind of just looking at button prompts. Yes, that's uh, episode nine, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Ouch. Um, <laughs> hey, whatever. No, I was um, on that same subject of um, you know balancing how much mystery or. Um, or how much there is to discover like in the sandbox of Bioshock. Cause there is so much sure. uh, you had touched on this a, a few minutes ago. Um, something that I see less and less uh, in, in action RPG ish games is I, I feel like I see like um, what's the word I, I see like less story and less attention to detail. It, it just feels like so many games are running are, are getting the player so quick into the action and so quick. Here's gun, go shoot stuff. Sure. Like, do you, sure. Do you like disagree with that notion that we're kind of like trending that way? Do you think I'm just not playing the right games or you, you, you feel like kind of what I'm putting down? I do. And, and, and I think it all depends. Uh, I think that I, I tend to agree on the AAA side. AAA is kind of a mess right now. Yeah. Um, I think that we're going through some uh, serious growing pains and I don't think anyone really knows where we're heading. Um, and that's been going on for years now. I think that we've, we've we've done our job so well that people are just stuck in a good way. Like, I mean, like I play Rainbow Six Siege all the time and yeah. the game came out. Well, how many each was it? I don't even, I don't even want to count how many years. 2014, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds about right. Um, and it's phenomenal, especially having worked on SWAT. Uh, you know, it's funny yeah. because we borrowed, we borrowed so much from the Rainbow Six series and I don't, I don't think they necessarily borrowed stuff from us, but it feels, it feels more SWAT than Rainbow Six to me. Um, it, you know, just based on the sort of uh, CQB, the, the uh, close quarters nature of it, and, right. and uh, it feels very uh, SWAT to me. Same thing with GTA. I mean, I saw a meme the other day that was like, 
in the early 2000s or the aughts or whatever, they, they released four GTA games. In the past, what, six years or so, GTA 5 is the only GTA game, right? Right, exactly. And it's been re-released over and over. And why would you mess with that? They've sold, I, th- I think I saw it was 130 or 140 million copies. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like, of course you're not going to, why would you? But, but here's the point is that there, people are, are playing the same thing over and over. And that's why I, I get a little bit grumpy about this, this re-release thing. Uh, you know, it's like, we're, we're, we're kind of fetishizing re-releases and it's like, we're getting to the point now where we're, we're, we're like, well, hey, I want to see that game that got like a six or seven and that nobody really liked that much and that it's like really obscure and not that noticeable or memorable. But I want the re- <laughs> I want a remaster. It's like, oh my God, well, like let's try something new. On the bright side, there are so many games being released and, and so many of them are, are what you're talking about. They're like, they're, they'll be strictly narrative or they'll be paced out like um, Bioshock or what was the... um. What was the plague game that I played recently? You talking uh, Plague Story? No, I haven't played that yet. I want to, but that was a little bit too close to home. Um, Path- Pathologic Two. Did you, did you play this? No, I did not. It's very dark. Um, it's it takes place during uh, the during a plague, uh, a fictionalized plague, and so you have these Venetian-inspired crow-like creatures. But it's mostly a narrative game, and uh, it's a great atmosphere. It's very dark. And very mysterious. Uh, definitely worth checking out. I think it was on Game Pass. I'm not sure, but anyway, um, yeah, games. Like I said, games shouldn't be pig- uh, pigeonholed into one thing, and I don't think they are. I think that some games are, are taking their sweet time with the narrative. Some games are jumping right in. You know, you get your. your uh, it's awesome to see Doom go right. back and do you know <laughs> the modern um, imagination uh, imaginings of, of of that series, and they're knocking it out of the park. That's exactly what that game wants to be. I actually just played those for the first time, 2016 oh, Eternal, like a week or two ago. I really liked it more than I thought I would. Yeah. I, um, I, um, it, it's not like I'm not an FPS guy. I was just like, you know what it is? I, I, my friends make fun of me for saying this. Like, I always say, oh, you know, Doom guy, muscly bro, shoot guns game. I don't want to play it. You know what I mean? Sure. But I mean, yeah, yeah, it's super tight and it's fun. And I didn't expect, you know, I mean, there are so many, you know, reboot, reboot games now, but I... You know, I mean, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's fast and it's fun, and I can't really complain. I liked it more than I thought I would. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 awesome that that can exist, and it's not like it doesn't need to 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 move uh, with the trend and go something that's I don't know, like a a, a soul style game, you know, where it's oh, like I love me some Dark Souls, man. Oh don't no, even... I, I totally get it. <laughs> but the fact that those things exist uh, in the in the same um, same industry is right, there's they, they, a lot they, to play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, I think that it's it, the, the biggest problem we have is just about um, exposure. It's just about uh, getting the kind of either press or, or, or just getting the word out there because there are so many gems released every single day. It's insane. Right. right. I'm, I'm always like so happy when I discover something I happen to miss because sure. I feel I feel like I'm so entrained on in, in the gaming scene, like in its entirety of like when I miss, when I miss a game and I end up playing it and loving it, it's like the, it's like the best week of my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna, to, to sort of finish off Bioshock here before we move on to other games in your catalog, I was going to hit you with some, um, some quick fire moments or design elements from the game. Do it. Um, and if, you, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. Here we go. <laughs> so I, I played Bioshock when I was 13 or 14. 
uh, when it came out in 2006, 2007. And I actually, I replayed it a couple of days ago, half in preparation for this and half um, my only achievement left was brass balls Ah. (laughs) to do the no, the no uh, Vita chambers. I was going to ask, like, I know Vita chambers are in system shock and Bioshock were, were, were Vita chambers always in the development of Bioshock or where they maybe put in as a reaction to people thinking it's too hard? No, they, they were, they were, so I, I personally pushed for uh, them because shock, I thought was a, one of the more, one of the greater successes of system shock too. I'm crotchety with my time in games. Like I, sure. I think that there are so many entertainment options, especially even back then, but especially now that when do people stop playing a game? It's when they die. Right. It's, it, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and if you die, like the thought of replaying something, it's like, forget it. I'm done. There's no way. Mm-hmm. And it's tough because you want people to die. You want people to feel a sting of death mm-hmm. and to, to mechanically, again, meaningful choice to, to feel like, oh, if I, if I was lazy and made the wrong choices in combat, I'm going to have to pay for it. I'm going to have to pay a price. Now, uh, you have to, we have to balance that, that feeling of like there's, there's purpose behind this combat. And the fact that, listen, we're trying to get people through this game. I'm very happy with the the number of people, the, the sort of completion rate of, of the game. That was something we really wanted to, to push on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you do that in a variety of different ways. But long story short, System Shock 2, I, just as a player, I was like, this is one of the, the better features in the game. And it really kept me hooked. It kept me addicted. And I, I compared it to a very similar, uh, very similarly with like Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yeah. Where uh, they always have a save point right before the boss. And uh, that, that notion of like, oh, I died. And there's that, that, lot, that game over screen. But I can jump right back in. It's only like a 20, 30 second penalty. And then I'm there again. And it's like, okay, what did I do? I failed, but it was my fault, and I know it, and I'm going to do things differently. Very similar to the, the Souls games now. Um, I think the, the penalty in the Souls games is a lot more severe. But So I really pushed on that. And we put it in early on, and it stuck. Uh, but for the longest time, we actually had uh, a, a cost, of a monetary, uh, it cost something like 10 or 20 bucks, or 10, 10 or 20 Adam, or not Adam, sorry, uh, Ryan bucks or whatever they were called. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah um, they're like American dollars, aren't they? I think I don't remember. No, they say it's, it's a Ryan. I don't know what they're called, but they're Ryan bucks. They're Rapture yeah. bucks. Yeah, but um, yeah, we 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 had that in. The functionality was uh, at one point commented out because we're like, well, we don't want people to get into death spirals where it's like, I'm losing in combat and I die and then I lose money and then I can't buy any more because uh, one of the key things to keeping you in the game is that there's no load times. So just right. basically teleport you in the world okay the enemy is probably going to heal themselves um but you're in this everything's in the same state go go and make this right go and and try it again that is so uh, that is so interesting because um you know i hadn't it i hadn't you know replayed the game in its entirety up until a couple of days ago and what's what's interesting to me is i'm also i'm also uh twice as old now than when i played it the first time (laughs) so but i actually really liked it with vita chambers off like i I, I, it was a very different experience. I mean, I mean, I, I didn't mind it the other way. I had never done it this way before. Sure. And I, and I think the difference for me was it put so much more weight into like my resources and, and fighting yep. well. And, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Yep. instead, instead of like, you know, okay, you know, the game is really atmospheric and it's really fun, but if I die, it's like, okay, I can just come back as playing yep. this game over the past couple of days. It would be really annoying to watch me play, like how much I would reload my saves just so I would play better. It's it's t- it's tough to 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 say. Oh, I wish we had done things differently. But that was there were there were a few gripes I had releasing it that I, there was because we had that com- 
commented out. And within the last three or so months, we had uh, I, I started to push like we should add the cost back in. And I was like, well, it's gonna we don't have enough to test the balance. And it was like, it's a, too much of a risk. And so ultimately, we decided not to do it. And I think that the Vita Chambers did get quite a bit of uh, good press. I remember it was at GDC that year, there were a bunch of people talking about it. And I think in a lot of ways, it did force people to revisit the 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 penalty for for death in games and I, I i'm very happy with that it was no and i i think it was it was the right choice because i mean when i was a kid when i played it i, I hadn't played system shock yet so yeah, for yeah. me for me i had never experienced a game where that was a feature yep. where like if you die you just keep going or you know sure. hey you're, which it's an interesting feature and if you know and you said it had a, a high level of completion rate and that may have helped that cause oh no doubt yeah well it's interesting because the, that that uh that that change was actually one that we, we patched in. That was not. Oh, yeah, that yeah, we, yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we, we had a lot of feedback, and you know, thankfully, Microsoft at the time lets you add in, uh, you know, in an update, you can add it in in one achievement. So we we had pocketed that one, and I think it was a nice incentive with brass balls. Originally, it was called Moxie, actually, but uh, we were afraid <laughs> of, of uh, legalese. I was like, let's oh, call it Moxie. Gotcha, Cause, gotcha. Because I had seen this Ted Ted Williams ad for like, you've got Moxie, and I was like, that's awesome. We're gonna go put that in. <laughs> um, but uh, ultimately, we decided. Uh, I'm surprised brass balls flew. I was like, eh, "That's a bit." Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, if that went through, okay, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I um, <laughs> that's so funny. Like, there's so much to talk about. I um, I wanted to ask about um, this. Uh, this we're on the subject of achievements. When when I was a kid, uh, Bioshock was one of the first games that it had one of the most clever achievements I had ever seen. And uh, I, I need to ask, like, who came up with the irony achievement taking a photo? Of, oh, that was, of, Jor that was Jordan. That was Jordan. That's um, that's honestly unbelievable. Like when I was 14 and like it was my first sort of sense of discovery as a kid, bef like besides Oblivion, <laughs> I like so Sander Cohen's dead. I'm like, what if I take a photo? What happens? And then you get the achievement pop up. And I said, this is the coolest game I've ever played. Like, they thought they thought of everything. Yep. No, well, that, that's, I mean, again, meaningful choice. So yeah, yeah. Jordan really, uh, Fort Frolic was my level for most of the development. And then he, he, the last, again, I don't remember it was six or eight months or whatever. He took it over and he just completely breathed life into it and things like that. It's, it's, it's really fantastic. Yeah, I know for sure. I mean, um, my co-host Beppy, um, Fort Frolic is his favorite level. It's got to be up there with me as well. I um I was going to move right along here to our second sub subject, which is Bioshock Infinite. Great. Um. So so I got it. I got. <laughs> I dude. I say that too. I love that. Yeah. Hit it. I'm going to. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Um. I gotta ask. Like. Um. Is it a strange feeling knowing Bioshock Two was created but not by your team? Like I know professionally that happens, but like what sure. were your feelings at the time? Oh, it was it was uh, you know, all kinds of bitter rage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, listen, I, 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 no 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 uh, no gripes against any of the the, the folks because a lot of uh, the the people who worked on that, including Jordan, there was an opportunity. Basically, Two uh, K, I think rightfully, was like, hey, we've got this amazing franchise. Um, we need to, to, to make sure that we take advantage of it. And they're like, let's, let's do a sequel. And, and uh, you know, Ken and, and, and the rest of the team were like, well, you know, this was, we've got to take our time and realize what we got and like to, to create something like that. I don't think that's, it's not going to go over so well. And uh, take uh, 2K was like, you know, okay, well, we're, well, we're going to start our own studio and, and do it this way. And so people had opportunity to go off and, and, and really escalate their careers. So who could blame them? 
Um, and you know, again, no ill will. Um, it totally makes sense. But yeah, of course, it's like you have you have your babies taken away from you. Right. And um, I think it's it, from a business perspective, it was absolutely the right move. And they made a great game. I think that uh, you know they really did a lot to improve a lot of the mechanics. I mean, like I think rightfully so. It's like there are a lot of there's a lot of low hanging fruit there. That's a, that's a sort of dream situation to be in to have that tool set and to be able to say like, hey, let's make this better. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, like I don't think Infinite would have been possible had they not gone off and uh, and did that. And again, they, they I think it was the right call um, at the time. I'm. I think there's a lot of great things they did with it. I think that uh, you know that the, the story in the world I'm not as into, and I think that there's, uh, yeah, as a designer, there's a lot of things. I was like, ah, I probably would have done that differently, but they did a great job. I think it's a great game. And yeah, uh, I, I I was gonna I was gonna say, um, you know, with Bioshock Two being out, and obviously Bioshock One being out, did um, um, did did what was the pressure like for the team, like when it came to like actually getting into making Infinite? Like, sure. um, how did you guys respond to that hype? Because, you know, Bioshock 1, obviously big success. 2 is a pretty good game in its own right. So how yep. how did you start that process? Yeah, well, I think that that was part of the problem is like, what do we, that, that you know, what do you do? How do you, how do you follow that act up? And, and, uh, and so I think that with, um, with, with Bio 2 off of our plates, you know, for, it's, this has been talked about a little bit, but for a while we were working on a, our own version of XCOM. Because we're like we can't we can't just go back to Rapture and we we got to figure out we, we if we're gonna do that we'd have to you know blow it out of the water <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so we're working on this XCOM game it was its own unique thing uh, which I, I really can't talk about in great detail it was 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 you know more or less announced um, or, or it got out that we were working on it mm-hmm. um, so at one point you know mid Bio two development we, I think it was. Nate or, or or might have been Scott who was like, hey, you know, what if it was a city in the sky, jokingly or whatever, and it, people started to kick that around, and and you know, it, it started to pick up traction, and uh, eventually it became a real conversation. It was like, do we really want to be doing this XCOM game? We're really passionate about it, but you know, it's we're we're rebuilding ourselves because a lot of yeah. people or a bunch of the team had had gone off to to, to further their own career elsewhere. And um, we, we we love this franchise. We spent all this time building up all these mechanics and this, these concepts and, and these pillars. It'd be a shame to not take advantage of it. And right. so, yeah, we, we, we started to, to pitch around some ideas and uh, the sitting in the sky thing really took off. And, and for a while, we were, it, was, it, was, it was a lot more um, Art Nouveau, European um, sort of, uh, we had this thing, um, Diamonds in, in, in the Mark. Um, where it was like this really sort of London fog style. You're up in the clouds, like really gray, but you have all these Art Nouveau lights everywhere. So it's just this uh, sort of was the shift to the Americana stuff happened when we were working on our first demo. Gotcha. But we are our sort of announcement demo. But uh, we were building this game. It felt a lot more Bioshocky. You know, we even had um, these things called Mothman, which were the versions of um, uh, our version of, of, of the Big Daddies. Um, and so it looked a lot more like a Big Daddy and it felt a lot more Bioshocky. But again, we, we we tried to keep ourselves pretty like Ken. He's always he's always got to take it up a notch. He's always got to mm-hmm. like, why are we doing this? Why are we going to spend years of our lives doing this thing unless it's going to, you know, 
he doesn't say it, but more or less, you know, he wants to revolutionize. He wants to push the medium forward. He wants to have, I hate speaking for him like this, but he's probably certainly one of the most talented minds in the industry, if not the, and, uh, you know, he's, he's got to leave his mark and he, he has, but it's never enough. You know, it's always going to be, um, you know, you got to put smile on more faces. You got to build a bigger <laughs> world. You got to build, um, something that's, um, has more of an impact has more to say and 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 like i'm just so lucky to have worked with him and to to learn so much from him but i I think you know we we started to build that 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 version of of wasn't even columbia of of, i can't remember what we're calling it uh, the version of the city in the sky and then he came in one day is like no no no. what if it was the fourth of july and you get uh you know the uh american flag bunting everywhere and you're you're making your way to the uh you know the celebration the fourth of july celebration and he just painted this picture and i was like oh my god yeah like i've never seen that that you can see how much more how much more that has to say it's just such better earth to till and and And, what like a juxtaposition from like the the city under under the sea to the city in the sky right yep yep absolutely that 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 contrast We, we talked a lot about um, you know how to do a sequel. I think this is part part of the reason we were so afraid at first is that, you know, in a lot of ways we talked a lot about James Cameron's uh, sequels, and I think he does them right in the sense that, you know, he has these two pillars that we that we identified anyway. That like, it's I think most sequels just try and go bigger, right? They right. try and like, oh my God, there's gonna be you know two Optimus Primes and they're gonna have like two swords this time and it's gonna be like <laughs> bigger explosions and not to knock Transformers, whatever. I know it's it, like great i've never actually seen any of those those movies but um <laughs> i'm not i'm not being i'm not being that guy i promise but anyway so they, they can go bigger that's great the problem is that you, like we've seen bigger and we're all desensitized to bigger explosions mm-hmm. and so um with terminator 2 james cameron did this brilliant thing where the bigger okay for starters the t-1000 what an upgrade right so you've got you've got arnold schwarzenegger the most unstoppable killing machine how do you how do you one-up that well you make it liquid metal whoa and then like that's pushing the technology that's pushing imaginations it's like it's 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 brilliant you're doubling down in ways we never would have thought of on top of that i think more importantly or certainly equally importantly is the notion of uh subverting of taking what you know and twisting it and with terminator 2 when when arnold comes out and says come with me if you want to live i think that's one of the most underrated moments in all of film where it's that's how you do a sequel got you've doubled down and you subverted you've right. twisted expectations and you've you've raised the stakes and so in a lot of ways we're looking very carefully at, at, at those two elements like how do we how do we double down and how do we subvert and uh yeah i i like to think we hit on those things i was gonna say like uh, a lot of people refer to majora's mask as an anti-sequel Ooh. L- Ooh. like would you yeah. call bioshock infinite an anti-sequel or not really it just or it just has a lot of juxtaposition based on the setting you know it's it's it's, it's so strange because oh, that's a really good point i've been it's funny i've been watching a lot of um uh randomization uh randomizer or whatever uh, uh videos on on majora's masterpiece past few days uh my son's like big into it. They were, you know, the randomizers where you, whatever, oh, absolutely. I, I play Pokemon yeah. randomizers all the time. I oh, understand. nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, um, I just discovered it. And, and so we're watching that Majora's mask. I love it mostly because it, it subverts. And I think that I, I imagine that they felt the same kind of dread that we did. It's like, Hey, we've got a 98 Metacritic. 
ah, oh, this is the greatest game of all time. <laughs> How do you to, follow like, up the greatest game of a generation? Yeah. Completely subvert. Oh my yep. god. Every like I cannot wait for Breath of the Wild too. Right. Because they're they're doing that same weird shit, man. They're doing that. I'm telling you, they're Breath of the Wild Two is gonna be the most mind blowing thing you've ever seen, and it's 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 because they know they're not like th that was the biggest one of the biggest worlds in gaming, right? Right. And they did everything so like regardless of how you feel about it, it's it's a monumental um, undertaking, and they did so much so well, and I think it's one of the best games of all time. But Majora's Mask, like that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna they're gonna get weird. They're gonna get kinky and freaky and and like dark and and you can tell. And so I cannot wait for Breath of the Wild too. Uh, so yeah, anti sequel. Yeah, in some sense, it's um, we wanted to expand the franchise, and that that was one of the the the, the core goals. It's like, okay, well, if we're going to invest all this time and money in this thing, you know, how can you do that? How are you going to pay that off? And so there's there's the the creative fulfillment of like we're creating something that's really different. It's got all this commentary. It's got some insight. But on top of that, well. We want to make it so that this can open up uh, the door to all kinds of new things. And on some level, Infinite opened a million door, infinite doors, but it, it <laughs> closed them at the same time. So it depends on, like, obviously, there, there, there's, it's no secret that there's a new Bioshock being worked on. Um, right, 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 right. In in some level, uh, it's a, it's an interesting question because we had a, a few goals. Um, but I'll leave it up to, to, to people to decide whether or not that was like we wanted to we wanted to open and close doors at the same time. Speaking of uh, opening doors here, this um, what I wanted to ask you next about Bioshock Infinite. This is a personal question for me because yeah. um, for the audience like Bill, you and I met because uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> at, at, at PAX because I sing in Bioshock Infinite, which is the yep. uh, barbershop quartet. And we sing, you know, the songs from the game. The best. And <laughs> I needed to. I needed to ask you this. This is for me. How sure. did how? I, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That is the opening level or close to it. How did the how did the God only knows segment actually come together? Like, was that an audio designer thing? Was that a Ken Levine thing? Was that a you thing? So honestly, the it definitely wasn't me. That the the specific of that song. So at one point, uh, Ken had the notion of because of the the tears and all this, the notion of like, hey. And normally, Ken is very um, against pop culture references for a sure. variety of reasons. But um, I think tonally and uh, for a variety of reasons, you can see where this would work because it's fictionally supported. Yeah. That, uh, you know, um, and they, they, there's like, logs about it from um, what's his face talking about how he's, he can hear music and he starts you know, re recording his own versions. This idea was opened up and he's. Ken sent around an email to be like, hey, if you could take one song and do it, uh, one, one modern song in the past 20, 30 years or whatever, and put it uh, either in Barbershop Quartet or like in the, the time period, what would you do? And so we, a giant list of, of responses and, and, uh, and everything from uh, you know Paradise City to obviously Girls Just Want to Have Fun. I think that was one of the, the first ones that was like, we're, we're going to do Girls Want to Have Fun because it's on the beach and it makes perfect sense. And it's their sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, her her night out or day out um, mm -hmm. music and so that's perfect. Um, so from there, I believe it was Jim Bonney who now is is our audio director on uh, Perception and, and uh, yeah, uh, Romance. Yeah, he then went on and just like started to do a bunch of arrangements and put together uh, a bunch of auditions and talent. And so I, I believe he went down to Memphis a bunch of times to record. But it was one of those things where you know he would uh, he would do mock like we had a list of things. And we just decide where they'd want to go and what levels. And uh, Ken would more or less give the thumbs up, and Ken would, or and then Jim would do some um, 
uh, proof proof of concepts of what they might sound like, and then he would, uh, you know, get sound samples and, and, and sort of paint a picture of what this going to sound. And then he'd go down to Memphis and, and record them. Um, wow. So, yeah, it, it was it was a you know we we were lucky enough to have a, a healthy budget to be able to pull that off. But you know the arrangements and all that sort of thing. I mean, Jim Jim is is brilliant. Jim is is, is real. And interestingly enough, I think that we had a lot of music buffs on the team. You know, Ken is is, is he doesn't he's not as into you know. Certainly not into modern music and, and, and pop music and that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. um, he's very musically inclined and or he understands it. He doesn't like play or anything like that. But um, and so to be able to look very closely at what sort of going to feel right um, tonally, but also just thinking about it for structurally, like what songs, how they how they fit into the world and that kind of thing. And the, I think the, the the you know you've obviously picked up on this. I think the the um, God only knows. Version. I mean, what a what a what a gorgeous song, but that arrangement. And I can't I can't hear it the I can't hear it the original way now. I have to hear it <laughs> the, the the barbershop quartet way. I can't listen to the original one anymore. I need I need this version now. Yeah, you're you're definitely in the uh, in the trenches there. So I can imagine why that's that's that is a that is your uh, canon. That's the canon version. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's it's kind of like um, no. But by by that statement, I mean that I just love it too much now. Sure, like, sure. And uh, there's another, I mean, I won't, uh, I'll move on to a, a different subject of Infinite. I do want to say, too, like, this game has so many songs in it where it became my favorite version of the song. Like, uh, that that folk tune, like, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Sure. Like, when it plays in the church and, like, you have all the atmospherics going, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, yep. I, I didn't even like that song before, and now it's, like, it's my favorite thing to listen to. It's yeah. like, and I just think, and his name is is Jim Bonney. Is that his Jim name? Jim Bonney. Yes. I mean, honestly, dude, give him a hat tip for me because he's unbelievable. Oh, absolutely. I, um, no. they're, 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 they're obviously, there's a lot of lot of involved parties, or whatever. But he's the he's the he was the the music director, and he he he, he drove that that show, and just like it's, uh, it, yeah, it's mind blowing. I mean, you know, we we like you said, we met because of of that song, which is just like in. Yeah, it's it just really lucky to be able to to have created um, something like that. Something to share, you know what I mean? Uh, I yeah. I was gonna actually, I'm actually, if you don't mind, I was gonna go into a little bit of a, I don't know, a heavier topic with Bioshock Infinite. How did um that that scene specifically with you know throwing the baseball in that intro? How um how did the team like carefully iterate on things like that, especially an interactive scene about making the choice about throwing the ball? Like was that something that got play tested a lot, or? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we, we had to, to test that. And actually, it was uh, you know towards the end of development, I started to to we, we didn't have any sort of formal practice for UX, and this, that's why I started to I stepped into uh, or built that that um, those practices and, and built a UX and, and testing department because um, yeah, we knew it was a big game. We knew there was a lot of sensitive topics, and we wanted to make sure that things weren't misinterpreted. Again. That that's a that's a weird term, but I think that um, you know there's authorial intent, and um, we we like to leave it open. But you, you like, I think there's it, it was very dangerous because you don't want people to misread it. You don't want people to to, to 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 look at something like that, something horrible like that, and and look at it as something that's glorifying or you know that kind of right. thing. And so when it comes to the choices, you know, we we played around and tested a bunch of different iterations on that in terms of letting you throw it versus not and, and uh being stopped and and uh you know that, that's 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 tough you know, you know tough, tough I was, uh, um, sequence i was um i was going to expand on that 
um, if you don't mind. Um, Bioshock, Bioshock Infinite leans uh, more heavily into social commentary, uh, even more than Rapture, but um, it's applied to um, concepts of American exceptionalism, which is pretty sure. ahead of its time for you know a 2013 game. Uh, the world of um, Columbia is, you know, it's played by like systemic injustice, rampant, violent racism, and the city is kind of maintained on the backs of the poor. And you know, and how the and how the story plays out is sort of, you know, stopping that cycle through your main character. Mm -hmm. I was gonna ask, like, um, is this is the solution that's offered in the game? Is that maybe a metaphor being offered by you and the developer, like? The commentary in the game seems to be saying that maybe uh what's the word america is a place where racism is a constant or was this metaphorical at all kind of a deep question no 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 it's a great question and i'm, I'm so glad to uh to have people really thinking about this because that's that's the whole purpose this is to really um to have people meditate on this um I, I would say that it's more overt than okay. uh bioshock uh the original bioshock i think that uh you know they're 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 there's, I think the themes are a little bit more complex in, in Infinite, for sure. I mean, like everything about it is more complex. But I think that uh, it's also more overt in the way that it's pre it presents a lot of the information. Now, that said, the information is complex, dense, and, and you know, very controversial. Um, I don't like to say exactly what it means, but I will say that it does. it's not necessarily about uh, American exceptionalism. It's. I mean, that's obviously how it's presented. But it's. It, it's. I think thematically, you'll find very common threads in all of all of Ken's work, and I think it's much more about that because it's like, yeah, there was a lot of controversy about the game because it, it confronts very ugly issues. Yeah. But I think I think a lot of those issues really tie much more into things that are much more about human nature, much less about the specific the specifics of American exceptionalism. That's the that's the medium. Okay. But the, the the message is is uh, is is quite different. Um, now, obviously, there's a lot to be said about the the ugliness of um, that that concept, the ugliness of America at the turn of the the, the, the 20th century. There's a lot of, for all its greatness. There's a lot of ugliness, and I think a lot of that has been <laughs> very thoroughly covered recently, and it yes. will continue to to, to, <laughs> to be covered. Yeah, I think it's deeper than that. I think it's uh, not to, to. That sounds really. Uh, I don't know. That sounds really silly to to, to say as, as someone involved in the project. No, go ahead, because I um no. I mean, this question, like I, it was written, you know, by my myself and my co-host, and we just it was a you know, deeper or a, a more in-depth question that we really wanted to ask because you know there there are a lot of heavy themes in this game, and for a 2013 game, I don't know many games that were talking about the same subjects, if if at all. Sure. You know, and I could be mistaken. I talked before about being uh, a film buff and yeah. you know having film background and all that. And the the auteur theory, the 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 notion of the director really being the sole visionary. I don't agree with that notion, um, but certainly in terms of the driving force and really, if there's one vision, it's the director. And I say this as someone um, who worked shoulder to shoulder with with uh, with Ken for yeah. years and years and years for for thirteen or fourteen years. And so I, I don't, I don't want him getting all of the credit, but Jesus, does he deserve it? And right. I think it's important to look at everything he's done, because um, you know he'd probably kill me for 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 saying any of this. But I, I think he's kind of in a league of his own sure. in terms of uh, vision. I mean, there's there's so much talent out there, and there's so many people who are doing so many things for games in different ways. But in terms of having a perspective and something to say, and being consistent on that message. 
it's it, we, I, I really hope that um, I'm never going to lead people to it. I'm never going to say what, what what sort of the ideas are. Sure. But I, I do I do hope that people start to lean in more closely because I've seen when people have done it in the past. I think that like obviously interpretation is subjective, but I think they've missed the point. I think that a lot of people are, are misreading a lot of his work, and uh, I think by understanding it on the whole, you you start to, to realize what their what his games really are about. I hope he doesn't get angry at me for saying these things. <laughs> I mean, I mean, listen, man. Like we we sing the songs from his game, and we like we blatantly you know use it for you know our own entertainment every year too. So hey, um, don't, don't be don't be too upset. Getting uh, still with Bioshock Infinite, but slightly um, different topic. Um, Biosh- uh, in the original Bioshock versus Infinite, in Bioshock you were more or less a silent protagonist. Yes. Um, and in Bioshock Infinite, um, uh, Booker is is voiced by Troy Baker. Um, yes. I'd, let me let me ask you this: Like, what was it? Did you work with Troy Baker and and Courtney Draper at all, or was were you involved in that aspect? And what was that like? Not really. No, the team had grown so much that it was just like. It was too crowded in, the, in the, that 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 aspect. The narrative team, we had a team, a narrative team at that point, you know. And uh, you know, towards the end, we brought it, brought back Jordan to help with the narrative. We had Christina Dzyak. Um, we had uh, Drew, Drew, uh, you know. And it's just like it was. It, 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 we we had that covered. Joe Fielder. Um, so a lot of talent there, and a lot of uh, you know. Uh, you just, at some point, you get too many cooks, right? Right. <laughs> no, I I understand. I um. Before um, we get off of Bioshock Infinite, I had I had one last um, one last one last part about it. Um, something that my co-host and I really enjoyed was Burial at Sea, um, specifically the opening, um, sure. sort of that that free reign to sort of walk around Rapture and talk to the citizens. Sure, um, you know, because there are so many. You know, I mean, you made the game, so I mean, <laughs> um, you know, there are so many compelling and, and interesting characters. Um, I, we thought it was really cool that you can be engaged like without having a gun drawn. And I feel like, you know, as I get older, like I appreciate those touches in games like more and more. Cool. Like, do you um, do you wish like games like um, leaned into that more or uh, in, in terms of I know AAA is a mess, but, you know, bigger, bigger, uh, bigger budget games like these days in yeah. terms of, you know, instead of, you know, giving you a gun and having you go blast stuff, you know, let me walk around and talk to people. Yeah, no, I, I, I yes, it, it does frustrate me. I think that the indie space is doing such amazing things with narrative yeah. right now. Um, but yeah, I think that you, obviously you're, you're going to, you want to feel to some level you're, you're, you're vindicated when you see the thing that you love in the big shining bright lights of AAA or whatever it is. Yeah. To see it on the big stage, right? And and um, and, and to some level, it does feel like, oh, if I want this this style, I have to go to the art house side of things, and so therefore, it's less valid somehow. I get that. I, I I totally understand that. So to see on the big stage a game like that, where it's like, yeah, hey, go out there and you interact with people, and we don't mind if you want to kind of jump around like a bozo and really screw <laughs> this up, and and like, you know, I love that um the last of us i haven't played the second one but i love that the last of us exists um because it's such a different approach right it's all the first like, one is so good <laughs> no the first um, one is so good man i, I mean, like I, I think it's it's certainly shiny um yeah. i think that uh, I, I get why people like it um i i i i, I enjoyed it i, I kind of felt like it was you know a, a, a walking dead it would be a good a good episode yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, are you a little bit more down on it than me? Is that the vibe I'm getting? I I, I am, and like again, it, it's for what it does. It's phenomenal. I think it's it's 
one of the most polished games out there. But yeah, I have a lot of I love I have a lot of gripes with it. Um, okay, and uh, that's fine. Again, I love that 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 can exist. But to me, just like the 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 emphasis on on cutscene and the emphasis on like I think the actual core experience is a lot of seriously flawed things that uh, you know I think it's just the, I, one 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 of the few negative reviews I, I read I, that I tend to agree with was um, was Tom Chick and he was like oh it's a you know a box and ladder pushing simulator uh, in the gameplay and then you know and then you get into the whole like I got to rummage through my my uh, inventory to to get something and, and just like the, the way it's training and the way things are messaged and the, the actual mm-hmm. game is is really disappointing to me. Okay, um, interesting. But it's pretty pretty world and. Uh, you know, like the the acting is great, and the the, the 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 way that they moved the industry forward with that level of fidelity, I'd be a fool to to say that's not groundbreaking. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan, and not to be solid. Wow, in- interesting. Oh, I didn't expect that, but that's very interesting. I um so I I wanted to talk about um the deep end games next. Um, bef- before I do, I uh, I need a, a so one word answer from you. Are you ready? So <laughs> yeah, if sure. if if you were forced to live in either Rapture or Columbia, which would you choose? Ooh, we're talking prime. Sorry, that's not a, it's not a, it's not a one word answer. I'd say uh, a rapture. I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I uh, let that. That's that's a really good answer. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to the deep end games. Um, yes. So um, was being the CEO um, or director of your own team like always a goal of yours? Like, what was the impetus to start deep end games around 2015? See, I'm I'm really stupid. I don't I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would never <laughs> I would never do things if I knew what was involved. I, I, I have to trick myself and, and so okay. I, I I have too much on my plate. I'm 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 working to fix that. That was part of what the Kickstarter was about, is about uh, building support to 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 grow the company and, and, and we're we occupy this weird space where it's you know, they're 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 medium sized games. Um, and the games are either really small or really big right now. Mm-hmm. And so um, there there's a little bit of challenge there. I think that I did not plan to start a company, and frankly, you know, I talked about that um, imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, you know, I've faced that for for years and years, uh, particularly coming out of working at Irrational. I know what my contributions are. I think the team mm-hmm. knows what my my contributions were, but there's always that that creeping self doubt, and um, I, I know what needs to be done to create a company to make a company successful is a whole different thing. But to uh, I was heavily involved in the marketing heavily involved in a lot of the business side heavily involved with all aspects of of uh, of irrational ken was um kind enough to take me under his wing and teach me so much and so i felt like i I absolutely could do it but it's like well there's there's a certain amount of bravado to say like yeah i'm gonna start a company right so uh, i started building prototypes for perception yeah and you know before i knew it we we had enough that it was like amanda my wife and the, the narrative director was like Hey, you know, uh, I think we got to figure out what we're doing with this thing. I think we got to, you know, uh, kind of shit or get off the pot. <laughs> we gotta, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I started looking at, okay, well, what is early access all about? What is yeah. going to a publisher all about? And Kickstarter, I had, I had a bunch of friends who were very successful with it. So like, oh, I can try Kickstarter. Right. So we started building that. And uh, before you know it, you know, we, we, we were funded. And, and uh, I was like, okay, I guess we're, this is what we're doing. It's my dream. Now, to do um, this. what is it? <laughs> I mean this in a funny way. What what is it like running a game company as a duo with your significant other? Like you know, you guys have a family, kids, like responsibilities. Like there must be sure. some unique challenge. Oh no, it absolutely is. I think that um, one of the keys here is that 
obviously we love each other very deeply, but I think that we also balance each, each other out very well. I think that, um, you know, she is uh, super creative and we bounce um, ideas off each other and, and sort of uh, play off each other very well. Mm. But in, in some ways, you know, she is much more structured than I am. She's much more, or even in her writing, like she has all these different techniques and she's studied all these different um, methods and, and she's done NaNoWriMo, the, 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 the program where you write a book in a month and she's, yeah. she's a machine. Like if she knows what she's doing, if she, she knows that what she's trying to say, she'll bang out, you know, I don't even know, like thousands of words in a matter of a few hours. Um, and I honestly found that most of the, the more successful writers are in that way. They'll, yeah. uh, they'll, they'll, they'll sort of like internalize and they'll, they'll like ah they'll fight it and they'll but then when they sit down and do it like boom it's done um so uh, just finding out how you play off each other how uh what your own strengths and weaknesses are um i've had to tell uh tell her a bunch that i think one of the the, the weaknesses we have I, one, personally i have that is that I, I don't deal well with structure um i do okay. I, if it's real if it's like structure that needs to be there that's fine but most of the time we're like well we don't really need to have this by this date and that person doesn't really need that and 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 so that's a problem whereas with her mm. i think that she she has a tendency to to, to to put up barriers and say like oh we have to get this done by this time or like uh we, we can't do this because of x y or z and so just like she's teaching me to be more structured and to be more like like let's take this seriously let's put this just draw a line in the sand that kind of thing whereas with her i, I try and break down walls and be like no 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 your your strength is in this thing like let's go wild and then pull back you know what i'm saying because it's a lot easier to pull back than it is to 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 go bigger with something once it's already created right i i was um if we could speak um about uh perception uh for a moment um sure. so we've interacted a little bit on the internet about silent hill recently yes yes um i was gonna ask like could I ask you like a very musician-y question? Like what were your influences <laughs> for perception? Like Silent Hill, you obviously worked on Bioshock. I sent yep. a little clock tower in there. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, clock tower was, was definitely one of them. Um, for me, the, the, the biggest influence was, was um, for, for decades now and I'm always studying it and there's, there's so much, it's, it's, it's fantastic. So that was a big uh, touchstone for me just about um, having a space that's lived in uh, and that, that tells the story um, through a variety of different methods, but I think primarily about the space as, as a character, um, and and so that that was that was an important piece piece for me. But yeah, Clock Tower is definitely one of them. Fatal Frame was another big one. Yeah, great um, game. There's uh, mechanically, there's a lot of things that are, are common. I think horror games, you know, they they really do a great job at making you feel vulnerable and, and yeah. having decisive encounters and that kind of thing. And so those touchstones um, are, are really important. But I think The Shining was probably number one. Followed by, uh, uh, you know, the Silent Hills and uh, particularly two. Oh man, like <laughs> after my own heart, man, uh, <laughs> dude, it, it's um, so good. I like the first one as well, but I think, I think, like if if you had to play a Silent Hill game, I think you could play two, and then that's all you needed. I agreed. It's so good. It's yeah. it's um that's another one that I I revisit all the time in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, just I think that there, there's so much subtext there, and the the whole. Um, frustration that James fe uh, feels about uh, not to spo spoiler uh, the loss of his wife and just all, all yeah. the, the different forms that, that takes it really is um, an interesting study and in, um, 
anguish and, and, and sort of the, 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 the coping that someone goes through, the suffering, but then also the coping. It's an unbelievable experience. And like, I, I sometimes I have to think to myself, man, and that came out how many years ago? Was that 20 years ago? Well, yeah, it's coming up on 20 because it was 2002, I think, right? It was, yeah. it was 2001 or 2002, yeah. Yeah, what, what a, just groundbreaking. And uh, yeah, like, I think, again, that's another case of, of, um, I don't li- I hate the discussion about games as art, but I think that that's that is another clear clear example of, of where that that the discussion is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um, what was what was the experience like like shipping like uh, your like shipping perception like you know you're the CEO of you know the Deep End Games. It's your first you know you've gone on on your own. You have your own game company. What was the like the day of release like like oh my god like we did it. What was it like? Um. It was, you know, it's always bittersweet because there's always things that you want to do differently. Um, yeah. But it's overwhelmingly amazing to to have people reach out and to, to give you feedback and, and that sort of thing. And just you, know, you spend the day just interacting with people on on uh, social media and and, yeah. on, and on Steam. Um, and so you know, there's there's fires that pop out, uh, uh, but the, that kind of thing, like you know, we, a, a couple of bugs and that kind of thing. But for the most part. It's just this. It's not a victory lap, but it's it's this really exciting moment because you want to breathe it in and really savor it. But at the same time, as a creator, you're you're always being like you're you're looking for like what's good, what's bad, what's ugly, and you're yeah. always looking to you know t- looking to improve yourself. And so, um, you know, I t- I try to be optimistic, but at the same time, I have this balance where I always uh, I'm looking for ways to 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 get better. And so I'm out there digging through stuff and looking for, uh, you know, feedback to, to, to take into to growing uh, the company and, and growing uh, projects. And, and you know, it, I think it's, it's an important part uh, as a creator. And so it's, it's exhilarating, but it's, it's terrifying. It's, it's, it's a very, I think one of the other things you don't really hear much about is that, uh, you know, you're exhausted. You, 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 right. you talk about crunch and this kind of thing, but to some extent, the, the incredible harrowing experience you you go through of releasing a project and all everything that goes into it and that build up and you finally get to the top of the mountain and you're you're making your way back down celebrating learning what's next and 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 that that fatigue and that exhilaration and all that noise and static and all that it really clouds your memory and I think to some extent it's a good thing because you forget about what it's like to start another project. Yeah. And if you were if you remembered it clearly, you probably wouldn't do it again because <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's 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 so much. Yeah. It's funny. I remember I remember joking with Ken about this at the start of Infinite. Um, we have these conversations like, uh, yeah, what do we what do we do now? <laughs> like, um, yeah, I don't know. We should go back and check our notes and maybe our postmortems. And it's like, yeah, postmortems mostly cover the end of the game. And like what that was like, and how we like shoot. Wow, I guess let's build some prototypes and <laughs> feels weird, them, right? <laughs> yeah, let's get some inspiration and like all like, and it's bizarre because you, you, I've never, I've never managed to remember. And I, I actually, as I matured, I start to take notes and, and do captain's logs and that kind of thing about like, yeah. hey, at this point we could really use this thing or really screwing up this. And sure enough, every time I'm like, oh, well, how do we get this thing going? I, that actually leads me like right into the my next question for you. Like, yeah. After perception, like how quickly did um, Romancevania begin? Like, um, it didn't. Um, it did? we, we, <laughs> yeah, no, we were 
<laughs> we were, and I, I think that this is another example here because you, you forget all this stuff. But we we jumped into uh, Perception VR for a while, and that was cool. But it was like I, I was unsure. We didn't have the expertise, and I was trying to get some some funding, and uh, it just wasn't materializing. And but in the meantime, we were doing that that horror anthology that we had talked a little bit about called um, Dark Web. Yeah, um, which we were, we were. I was going to try a completely different approach to development and to the, the game and design and all these different things. And we're working on it. Just really, just I was loving it. It was a great experience, and I hope maybe one day I can revisit it. But it was just like, just wasn't. There's was a lot of. Sometimes the universe talks to you, and it, it just when things weren't clicking the way they should in terms of the development. And I, you know, at one point I turned to Amanda and I was like. And one, like earlier, much earlier on, like a year or so before, I was like, hey, what about this? What about Romancelvania? And she was like, uh, yes. <laughs> How do we do that? She's, she's like freaking out about it. She thought it was fantastic. And it's like, yeah, but we, we're working on this other thing. Let's just focus. Don't do, do your thing and distract us. And then after like sign after sign after sign, like we went out to GDC to pitch our game. And it's just like another game that had a lot of similar things was announced. And and there was just so many signs saying like, yeah, now's not the time for this. And then finally, I, I, I you know, I, I said to Amanda, I was like, you know, if, if forget about everything, forget about sunk cost. If you had your choice, if you could work on, on continue working on this other thing or work on Romancevania, what would you just like? Romancevania, without a doubt, I want, I want to work on that. Mm -hmm. And so- uh, Change gears. Yeah, we started to pitch to people, uh, to friends and stuff like that. I'm like, oh my God, how do I get involved? And uh, it just really snowballed. And uh, I've always wanted to, to work on um, an action RPG. I always wanted to work on, uh, you know, a Metroidvania. Yeah. And, um, but I, I didn't have that experience. And so again, that uh, imposter syndrome, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And, and, and finally I was like, you know what? Screw it. I didn't, know, I didn't know how to make a tactical shooter. I didn't know how to make a merchant sim. I didn't know how to make a you know, walking simulator, all these things. And I just said, well, screw it. And you just do it. And, uh, you figure Bill, it out. Believe in yourself. You've made incredible games, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's, I, it's, it's a tough lesson. No, dude, I listen, I'm a musician. So I just, yes. I consistently just think I, I'm not good enough at anything. Right. <laughs> it, it's, um, and I, I was going to say this. So we talked at the beginning about the Kickstarter saga and that whole, I'll call leave it out of saga. I guess what I was going <laughs> to ask is uh, post that Kickstarter. Can you give us any like tasty details about Romancelvania or is it tight lipped for now or where bring us up to speed? It's somewhat uh, tight lipped. We, we have to send another update to, to backers where we're behind on that. Um, so it's moving along. I think that, uh, you know, after the Kickstarter, you really have to take the time to, to size things up, to plan, but also really understand because you, you know what you're building. Right, you get used for the very start. You think you know what you're building, and you 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 build towards that, and you adjust it. And, but I think one of the good things about Kickstarter is that you get that immediate feedback from people, and they, you hear what they think it is and what they think it ought to be. And I'm not interested in designing by committee, but I am interested in hearing that feedback and and and, and see how that aligns with what I what I was uh, envisioning, what what I'm what I'm chasing. And so uh, there's been a lot of just revisiting all that feedback and revisiting what we're doing and streamlining and that kind of thing so jamie is, is modeling uh you know femdrac um i was doing a, spending a lot of time trying to 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 punch up the combat like doing things where we have time ramps when you hit enemies yeah and just like really making the sound crunchier and really just really punching things up quite a bit if you'll pardon the pun um meanwhile he was really working on uh developing the characters and I think one of the things that didn't really come across that much in the Kickstarter was how the show 
really works. Sure, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. Uh, those aspects and really trying to find ways to punch those things up. And so there's just a lot more um, of that presence and, and Grimm becomes much more of a Sander Cohen slash Joker type character where he's much more present as, as the, the producer. And, um, you know, he's, he's, your, he's your sort of frenemy in the show you know he's he's causing you all your strife but he's also the the, the solution to all your problems um and so yeah just developing the characters the story and just uh we we as of uh yesterday we got in another one of our powers which is uh it's um <laughs> it's called just a, just a little prick it's <laughs> a it's uh essentially a, it's like a sea urchin yeah. Uh, that drag the drag will hold, hold out. He gets that from um, he gets those from uh, Ennui, the 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 mermaid, uh, the siren. Excuse me, the siren. Um, so you hold out uh, this uh, these um, urchins, and they they blast out like shotguns. They blast out these quills, um, and so we basically have a, a shotgun. And in a lot of ways, our experience, our moment to moment, has Bioshocky elements in the fact that you have your, your weapons in the, the, yeah. the form of uh, melee, and then you have these uh, plasmid-like powers, like just a little prick, and, and uh, you know the bonerang and that kind of thing. It's all very cheeky. It's like right, know, right. I understood the uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 I understood the humor. Uh, but we, we, I want to be careful here because it's like <clears throat> some people in the campaign were like, "Is this porny?" You're like, "No, my God, no, it's not." <laughs> it's, we, we have a, we have a saying: it's it's naughty, not dirty. Right. And, um, you know, like we did all our research. I, I, I think that, um, you know, we're learning a lot about the audience, learning a lot about visual novels, learning a lot about dating sims. And we're not that, but we're taking elements because there's a lot that I love uh, from, a, from a narrative perspective. But, um, yeah, so taking all these elements and just really you know, having a blast moving forward with, uh, with, the, uh, with, with the experience. But at the same time, just trying to, to make sure we're hitting on... Um, the expectations but also both from the audience's perspective but also mine my, my vision so it's a balancing act it's fun i i was gonna ask um we're we're round we're coming uh we're coming to the end here we only have a few more for you <laughs> sure. um has COVID 19 affected your workflow as a um as like a game developer game creator with your team or is most of your work done online or at home yeah, we've always been distributed. We've always been remote. So, um, and I've always been pushing for remote. Like for years and years and years, I've been saying like game development does not need to be in studio. It's a waste of time and money, and it's bad for the environment. You know, you get pollution. You get bad for sanity. It's a, it, I, so I've always been very adamant about uh, remote work. Got it. Um, but that said, uh, and I've, I've got that down pat. I think I've really I know how that works. But the problem is that everyone else is remote. And they don't have it figured out. <laughs> and right. so um, it slowed me down in the sense that when we were talking to partners, they, you know, like they, they just don't can't figure out the, the Zoom thing. But I think more importantly, I think the, the, the bigger challenge has been the, the fact that our kids don't go to school as much. And, um, and so that we just, just means we have, a, it's been wonderful that we have way more face time with our children. We've, we've helped them really grow. And I think they've really flourished in a lot of ways. I, like a lot of it is very sad because I think it's stunted their, their emotional growth in a lot of ways. And uh, like, again, uh, like priorities here, obviously safety and, and, and uh, you know, everyone getting through this is most important. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I have a, a preschooler and a, a, a kindergartner as well. And um, I, I don't think that this is going to have a good impact on them. Not to get right. uh, sorry, sorry to get to get sour here, um, but it has really impacted because it, it's it, just them being there physically means a lot more time with them. Yeah, 
but uh, it also means a lot more time just dealing with the, the sort of emotional toll that this has taken and making sure that they're growing properly. Um, so that's that's been a real challenge. I mean, like again, in terms of challenges, um, we're so blessed to be able to, to, to work from home like we are. Right. And uh, we're so lucky to just everything, you know, everything. So I, I want to be very careful here because woe is me, right? Like, oh, um, but it, it, you know, it has impacted us uh, in that regard that it's just a lot more, a lot less time um, during the work work day. I just sort of have to shift my shift my schedule a bunch. Got it. Um, now, um, Bill, this was excellent. I have one more fun question for you before we round this out and and say goodbye. So right. I, I'm I am a musician, and the the most like the cutest question I always get is like, "What's a song you wish you wrote?" And Ooh. so my my question for you is. You you make video games. What is one game you wish you made? Oh, interesting. I was gonna say Spirit of Radio by Rush. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I I think that there are games that I think would be fun to work on, and uh, be a great experience. And then there are games that um, you feel that you could have had a, an impact on, and perhaps uh, ironed out some issues. And then there are games that you feel that you could learn a lot, and it would help you grow. And and so. I'm going to take it from the perspective of uh, somewhere between fun to work on and, uh, you know, perhaps improve. And, um, it, well, I, I think all three of those things. I mean, I would say uh, probably Ocarina of Time. Wow. Um, okay. I, I think that um, I certainly would have learned a lot. I think I could have uh, helped with a lot of the pain points. I mean, I, was, I hadn't started my career, so that's a bit uh, of a big head for me. Um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it seems, seems like an amazing world to really immerse yourself in and to really fully realize and to, to, to paint narratively, but also, you know, get in people's heads uh, to, to, like I talked about before, about um, helping with immersion and let, leading people to walk through those worlds in, in their, yeah. their heads. I, I think Ocarina would probably be my pick. Wow. Um, hey, that's that's a great answer. Um, this concludes the interview. Um, <laughs> Now, um, where now are there any um, links or websites or, or quick fire things you want to say about Romancelvania before we um, uh, hit the stop button here? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I think that um, we're, we're making a game that's very special uh, to us. I think that our goal at the deep end is always to make stuff that we're very passionate about, games that we'd want to play. And I'm about as hardcore as it gets. I, I play everything and I love everything. And I, I try and take influences from everywhere because there's so much. To love out there there's so much to, to whether it's you know from food or from travel whether it's from art or you know other games movies you name it and so uh this is just a mashup in every sense we're taking everything that we love we're taking uh platformers and action rpgs we're taking castlevania and super metroid we're taking uh the the relationships you get in mass effect with the different characters on the ship and we're taking everything that we love about games and we're doing a living send-up of them uh, in a lot of ways, it's parody. In some ways, it's uh, meant to subvert. Uh, but we're having a blast doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that um, we really resonate. We really get energy from uh, from other people's energy, getting, uh, you know, what, what people are passionate about. And, uh, you know, we're building a community. And I think that um, it's just been a fun experience. And I cannot wait for people to play it more. I'm hoping. Rumor is that PAX East may happen again, so we may cross paths. Um, yeah, that's true. Everything, th things are looking up. I hope that we're able to continue to, to to make progress like we are. But pack season in the summer sounds like an absolute dream to me, and there's a real good chance we'll be showing the game at that point. And so awesome. that's to me, 
Um, I cannot wait for, for people to see this. But anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter, Game on Gardener, or the Deep End Games. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find, um, and I, I love chatting games or entertainment or anything really. So please reach out. Thank you, Bill. Uh, this was excellent. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys.